Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Bounce Roundtable podcast. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning, Ben. Hi. Awesome. So uh, we've got quite the show for you today. We are going to be providing you updates on the Russia-Ukraine situation. What's happening? What are the latest? uh, The horrifying news that um, Putin will be may well be using chemical weapons. Uh, We're going to be asking, what do we do about this? What does the international community do um, once Putin does this, if he does this? Uh, we're talking about gas prices. We're going to talk about Bob's fantastic article on um, Trump and why Trump was definitely not tougher on Putin than Joe Biden. We are also going to be... Uh, Tucker Carlson has put his foot in it big time uh, by accidentally once telling the by accidentally telling the truth. Uh, we'll talk about that. That's quite an interesting story. Uh, he may <laughs> help sue Fox News. And then we are going to be having a members-only podcast for you lovely members and where we'll be discussing my life as a juvenile delinquent. As uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has been teasing me. About. If anyone has read my members piece this week, um, <laughs> both Bob and Justin <laughs> find this hilarious. Um, that I was a wayward teen. Uh, but anyway, we'll be talking about that. So anyway, um, guys, Russia, Ukraine, not looking good. Nope. Definitely not. Yeah, I gotta say. I mean, I know people. I I know people really, really want us to like do the no fly zone, and and I understand like why they want us to do this, but I don't. They don't seem to understand that a no fly zone would require us to shoot down Russian planes. Like that's the thing. I, I don't. I don't understand why people don't get this. Like a no fly zone. It's not. You push a button. And then Russian planes aren't allowed to fly anymore. That's not how that works. No, it's that, not. That's not at all how it works. No. You, you have to stop them from flying, which means you have to go up there and physically stop them from flying in that airspace, which would require either shooting them down or basically forcing them out of the air with your own airplanes, a la Top Gun. And that's a really good way to also end up shooting them out of the sky, which is direct combat and that's how wars start and that's that's an escalation between nato or even just the united states if you want to just do it that way and russia who has nukes and that just cannot happen i I know we all feel really bad about what's happening in ukraine we cannot instigate a war with russia between nuclear powered uh countries it's just it, it's it's inconceivable. You can't mm-hmm. do it. So, if you think things are bad in Ukraine right now, uh, let's start fighting on Russian firing on Russian fighter jets. Let's start doing that. That'll make things a lot better, won't it? 
make things a lot more secure for Ukraine. No, it'll be genocide in Ukraine. I mean, it's already kind of genocide already. They used this thermobaric rocket to uh, destroy this maternity hospital yesterday. That's just a prelude. That's just a warning shot. And I know we shouldn't be sitting here going, oh, God, you know, cowering in the corner, wondering what Vladimir Putin is going to do next. I understand the drive to want to push back. I want to I want him to be destroyed. I want his army to be destroyed. That's my visceral reaction as a human being when I see these atrocities in Ukraine. But at the same time, this is one of the reasons why we have, uh, you know, dispassionate elected officials who make these decisions or, you know, in some cases, military officials who make these decisions for us. So our passions do not drive what our policy is. Our policy has to be rational. It has to be it has to be that chess match. Unfortunately, we haven't seen anything like this as far as the potential for a direct conflict with Russia, probably since the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, there have been little things here and there, maybe in, in Syria and so on, but never before will we have been presented with a situation where we could end up fighting Russia on what Vladimir Putin considers to be Russian soil. I mean, consider that Ukraine, in the mind of Vladimir Putin, isn't Ukraine. It's Russia. Now, you imagine if Russia were to suddenly enforce a no-fly zone around Texas. Would we sit here and go, okay, fine, enforce the no-fly zone around one of our states? No, we we would never allow that to happen. Rules of engagement kick in. Retaliation for this strike, retaliation for that strike, and so on and so on and so on, eventually leading to the use of nuclear warheads. And that's an eventuality we cannot allow to occur. Yeah, absolutely and so not. Yeah, it's, absolutely. it's not a desirable position to be in. We don't want to be in this position where we're, you know, letting this democracy be invaded in Europe, while at the same time, we know that if we intervene, even if it's a no-fly zone, which is also an act of combat, um, we just can't do it. We have to exhaust every... Uh, available uh, off-ramp that we possibly can. And, uh, and and that's fortunately, that's what we're doing. Cooler heads are continuing to prevail in Washington, D.C., and that's uh, so incredibly important. Yeah. yeah no, I, so, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, no, no, Bob, I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right on this. Like, the, the danger, people forget, right, that, that Russia is has more nuclear weapons than we do, right? They are the most armed nuclear state on the planet, right? It's a it's a shitty economy. Um, their economy is smaller than Italy's, um, but they have a huge army and they have a vast nuclear arsenal. And Putin, um, as we've now seen, probably won't be afraid to use it, right? I don't think he would do a, a nuclear strike straight away. He'd probably do. He'd probably blow one up, you know, um, somewhere, you know, in some ocean, or or uh, he might, you know hit a, a military base in Ukraine, something like that. Uh, it's something to, sh to send the world notice that the Russian, they go, they mean business, right? And and you have to take the guy at his word. When he says he's going to use nukes, which he basically did, um, you've got to believe this guy, right? You've got to listen, you've got to listen to, you know, to what he's saying. And look, I think this, the best strategy, um, Bob, as you were kind of inferring, is to, is to play chess with this guy. Right, um, and I've and I've now come to that conclusion that the the only way to deal with this situation is to draw Putin into a long fight in Ukraine and basically drain his economy. 
while he's doing it. You make it untenable. So you cut the gas off. You you know um, you keep enforcing the sanctions. Isolate them diplomatically, uh, and and you basically let him screw himself, right? Which is kind of what he's doing, right? Like he is Putin is at least in my opinion, and and most uh, observers of of kind of Russian politics that he's made a catastrophic mistake here. Hasn't ca- he, there are lots of things he didn't calculate when doing this. Firstly, that his, you know, the, the actual invasion itself. So, look, I mean, they are creating an insane amount of damage um, and they're killing lots of civilians in Ukraine. But from a sort of strategic point of view, military point of view, it's been a, a colossal failure. They haven't taken any of the major cities. They haven't, like, um, Kiev still remains in Ukrainian hands. Uh, they're incurring huge losses like absolutely catastrophic losses, you know, logistical problems. Like the whole thing is, is a shit show. It's really bad. Like the, the military generals all around the world are scratching their heads. They, they're thinking they did not um, anticipate the Russian army being this bad. So, you know, I think you've got to let the guy make, make these mistakes um, uh, and, and, and avoid at all costs, Get it, you know, escalating this outside of once NATO's involved, we're in nuclear war. That's that that's that's just all there is to it. Uh, so we need to be very careful, and people need to be very careful about their rhetoric. Can I can I just toss in um the 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 giant bit of irony which has been killing me since yesterday? I've been giggling about it nonstop. So you know your World War II history, right? Germany attacks um, Russia. And they go into Russia and they're like, her, Russia. And they find out that Russia win- Russian winters are super, super cold and they weren't prepared for it. And it, it just kicked their asses. Um, and that is one of the major reasons that Germany was not able to beat Russia, is that they were not prepared for the Russian winters. So now we have Russia attacking Ukraine. Now, Russian Russia is obviously prepared for Russian winters, but they weren't prepared to be there that long. They weren't prepared to go in and have to slog it out. So they didn't come prepared for winter weather. They just came in figuring we're going to charge in, take over the cities, and then we won't have to worry about resupplying because we'll be in charge of the cities and we can resupply whatever we need from the cities. So they weren't prepared for winter weather, which is now hitting them and it's dropping down to like 20 below and they're not ready for it and they don't have the supplies and they can't get the supplies and they're running low on fuel so they can't even stay in their tanks and armored vehicles and keep the heater on. So they're pretty screwed right now, which I find to be incredibly ironic because they very much made exactly the same mistake the Nazis made. Ha ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. So anyway, anyway, I just wanted to share because I've been enjoying it immensely. Yeah, you you got to like they really have screwed this up. It's quite hard to sort of um, see how they get out of this, um, you know. Without like, the, if you think just a from a, the strategic point of view, militarily speaking, they they've they screwed up badly. But let's say they achieve all their objectives and they take Ukraine after like months and months and months of pouring every single you know every single available soldier into Ukraine. And then they're, but they're going to have to deal with an insurgency, and they're also going to have to deal with the rest of the world cutting them off. Um, so you got to think, like, even yeah. if they, even if they capture it, they can't keep it. Yeah, yeah. As Colin Powell once said, "You break it, you own it." And um, 
you know, he said that yeah, with yeah. Iraq. Well, and, and that also uh, connects directly to the effect of the sanctions. I mean, we really haven't seen the hardcore impact of the sanctions yet, but I don't think we expected to. I think the law in the long run, the sanctions will cripple Vladimir Putin's ability to wage war. I mean, you need to actually have some form of economy in order to finance uh, a war effort like that. And uh, not only will he be hampered in terms of his ability to seize more Ukrainian territory eventually, but I mean, imagine him trying to hold on to that and occupy Ukraine uh, against what's going to be a furious insurgency of, uh, you know, Ukrainian citizens banding together, joining the Ukrainian army and, and pushing back against uh, Russian occupiers. I think that's going to happen. How does Vladimir Putin pay for that when he's economically isolated from the rest of the world? I, I don't know how it, I don't know how that works. Yeah, he can't, basically. And not for nothing. I mean, it, what he's doing, if he really, really lays into it, and I know we're about to get into it, but if he starts lobbying chemical weapons and he starts committing like atrocity after atrocity, he's going to have a country of millions of people who can easily go into Russia, right? Because a lot of Ukrainians speak Russian and they look just like the Russians and they can easily cross into Russia and they're going to be very highly motivated to do very, very bad things to the Russian capital, which is not that far from the border. You know, I mean, they're going to want to retaliate at some point, if he keeps committing horrible, horrible atrocities, he's just breeding a country full of essentially terrorists. They're going to want revenge for what I mean, if you kill enough people's families, they're going to want to come over to your side of the border and get some revenge. And it's not so I mean, it's one thing when you do it in, say, Syria, which is far away and not so easy for them to get into your country. But when you do it right next door, and they speak your language, and they look just like you, that's not a recipe for long-term stability in your own country. This seems like a really bad idea on his part. But, you know, he doesn't have, he gave him, he didn't give himself a lot of outs. Right. So, well, guys, let's talk about the, the there's a kind of complex chemical weapon, uh, chemical weapons um, kind of thing going on uh, that involves um, U.S. intelligence reports uh, that indicate that Russia could be using chemical biological weapons in Ukraine. Uh, but this co coincides with Russia's claims that a U.S. biological weapons lab are operating in Ukraine. So this goes into the part of the kind of Kremlin propaganda that 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 um, Ukraine is part of this sort of... Um, uh, it's like a Western puppet regime uh, that's been used as a kind of launching pad for U.S. military objectives against Russia. Um, so, you know, as, as far as I can tell, this is complete nonsense. Um, the U.S. doesn't have biological weapons labs and chemical weapons development in Ukraine um, at all. Well, and as far as I understand it, they've been working with them for like almost 20 years. They're, those are old Soviet labs that they've been dismantling. Right. Right, of course. So the exact opposite of what the Russians are saying is is, is true. Exactly, and they know exactly what those labs are because they used to be there. So they know they're lying. But you know, of course, do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The best rule is to not believe a single goddamn thing that's coming out of Russia. I mean, it's mostly propaganda. I mean, wasn't the latest? They're doing this thing right now where they're saying one of the uh, 
wounded people from that uh, maternity hospital is actually this Instagram star, this fashion Instagram. Star. It's to, to make it seem as if she's a crisis actor is the is the oh, point. God's I mean, <laughs> Russian propagandists are pulling out all of the old tropes that we've seen before crisis actors and false flags and things like that. And uh, they're taking advantage of all of that. And unfortunately, it looks like the Russian people are believing every word because there's nothing else breaking through. And this is part of the danger of actually cutting off Internet to Russia because they're not mm. getting Russian citizens are not getting, you know, any uh, real news. They're only getting fake news. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of it's, scary. It's kind of I think like we don't really understand like what like the Russian point of view, what they're seeing, what Russians are seeing is, 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 is you know, if they basically have like Fox News blasting like 24 seven in Russia. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there is no independent media in Russia. anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it. It's like uh, the Russian state media is now Fox News 24 seven. Uh, not to be trusted, not to be believed. It's uh, they say what they need to say to keep all their people in line. And it's kind of, it, it, I mean, look, and Fox News is a sort of bastion of uh, of uh, good journalism um, compared to what what's going on in Russia. Some of the nonsense that's going on in Russia, like their propaganda stuff, is like absolutely full on. I mean, in Fox, you do get, you know, you do get some dissenting figures, right? So. Um, not much, but you get some uh, smart a- analysts and good journalists. They eventually leave Fox, but you know it's not like th- they have a vicious, violent dictator telling them what to say on on Fox News. Yeah, that was last year. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, but no, Jennifer Griffin's been all over Fox News, and she's been just like tearing apart, like you know, Sean Hattie and Tucker Carlson's bullshit. I, I, honestly, I don't know why they keep letting her on the air. But um, she's the one who's been um, tearing up the um, biolab crap that they came, uh, the Russians came up with, and Fox News was trying to push. Mm. Um, but uh, while while we're on the topic, it wasn't just Fox News, and the the QAnon people were throwing it out there, and the right wing was throwing it out there, and so was our good friends on the far left. You know, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald immediately jumped on it. Michael Tracy immediately jumped on it because, of course, they did. You know, and and it was like in a really ugly, toxic way. It was like, oh, well, you know, just asking questions. I don't really have any proof, but, you know, it just, you know, it just seems kind of suspicious and you really can't trust anything U.S. intelligence says. And it's like, but you can trust what Russian intelligence says. That's because the crazy of thing, right? That, 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 that's the crazy thing. And look, it's it's like when when U.S. intelligence is is being okay look at least in my in in my understanding of this right that that when remember the whole weapons of mass destruction thing um back in in um in the early 2000s right with with in the iraq war it was pretty clear that the bush administration was leaning on intelligence agencies to provide um or to to paint a, a a skewed and not accurate picture of what was going on Right, they took they took intelligence and they basically kind of they cherry picked it. They cherry picked and they cherry picked intelligence and then presented it to the world and said, "Look, here's what here's what we think is going on." But it wasn't necessarily like people in the U.S. intelligence agencies were not happy about it at all, and we heard about it. There were lots of like breaking news stories about 
um, about CIA agents who were just like, you know, this is bullshit. This is not what, what what's happening um, at all. And the, the, the media was all over this, right? So there was a lot of kind of healthy dissent um, about about intelligence, not just in America, but also in, in the UK and on the BBC, you know, sexed up dossiers and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you guys remember all of that stuff. Um, as so, much as I should. But when you're look- right, but when, when you're looking at um, when you're looking at what's happening now it, with with U.S. intelligence reports, you don't have any of that, right? None of the criticisms of U.S. intelligence is backed by any evidence. It's just Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald saying you can't trust U.S. intelligence. It's bullshit. It must be. We don't believe any of it. It's like okay. Do you have any? Do you have any evidence to suggest that they're lying about this? Other right, than well, their evidence is it came from U.S. intelligence. It's like right, okay, but that's not, not really enough. It's not enough, right? It's not enough. And also, like this whole thing about, um, uh, you know, the, the U.S. and the CIA and uh, the Biden administration lying about about what they were seeing going on in Russia. It's like they published photos, aerial images of Russian troops on the Ukrainian border, like. You can see it for yourself, right? It, it's like, unless they were like photoshopping it, you know, and um, uh, uh, do, doing the kind of, you know, the most sort of childish uh, uh, cover-up in, you know, in, in intelligence history. It was they could have used Sharpie. They, they could have right. drawn the troops in with Sharpie and it would have been a... Right. You know, they, they, they might have believed it then. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. It's like you you have to when you, an intelligence report comes out, you look at the intelligence and you say, okay, like can, can, can we prove this or disprove this, right? And if you can't disprove it, it probably stands. And this, you, like, we know what's going on in Russia, and everything the Biden administration has said about what Russia is going to do has come true. They've been scarily accurate about what the Russians have been up to, and I think their strategy on this has been absolutely spot on, which is to bet to to tell the world exactly what they know about what Russia is up to and what Russia is planning, um, and, and call bullshit. And it's like you know, they're all these false flag operations, the um, you know, the the invasion itself, uh, the use of intelligence weapons uh, of um, chemical weapons, right? if the world knows about it in advance and the Russians then do it, it looks even worse. And this is, I think one of the reasons why the U S has been able to kind of build up such global resistance to, to Putin's um, uh, to, to this war in Ukraine um, and against Russia is because of how the Biden administration is handling this, right? They're doing it very transparently. Um, they're saying, you know, we're not going to get drawn into a nuclear conflict, but we this is we're going to publish everything we know about what the Russians are doing, and it's and it seems to be working, uh, you, you know. So, but the the disinformation coming from the the far left and the far right is is extreme, right? And it's kind of weird to watch these alternate realities um, play out on Twitter. Like, it's very strange to see kind of crazy right wing people. Uh, bashing the CIA and bashing the deep state where like, you know, 10 years ago, um, all they could do was bash Democrats for, um, you know, uh, being against uh, the CIA or being, you know, not right. believing. They were, they were traitors because they weren't loyal enough. <laughs> right. So you had a complete like 180 on this. It's, it's very strange to, 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 to see. Yeah. You know, I wish I had like an infinite budget, uh, to do 
some hardcore like <laughs> boots on the ground reporting um, and figure out where some of these, you know, quote unquote influencers on the far left, especially are getting their money. I, I have no evidence whatsoever that they're getting any sort of Russian money in exchange for what they're doing. In fact, my hunch is there's some sort of mediary. There's some sort of activist group in between, maybe a super PAC somewhere in there that's funneling the money to them. So they may not even know some of the usual suspects. But I'd love to dive in and find out, God damn it. Is it simply branding? Is it simply them just placing their flag in a certain take and sticking with it? I don't know. It seems like you would have to be well-financed in order to stick with a, a take as ludicrous as repeating Russian propaganda, of all things. Well, so I Bob, got, if you go I, by I the hope, I'd like Greenwald. to think at least someone's looking into this. And if, if, if I had the wherewithal, I would certainly do it myself, but I don't. If you go by the Glenn Greenwald method, you don't need proof. You just have to ask <laughs> Well, the yes, but I, I have more integrity than Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, you know, that again, that's one of the, the things I'd like to do going forward for the banter is to is is to in increase our budget so we can do um, yeah, you know, much yeah. more more in depth stuff. So uh, anyway, listeners, like that's going to be on the cards. Um, we'll, we'll be revealing more about this in the coming weeks as well. Uh, but yeah, we we want to um, do that, but you know, more in depth investigative investigative journalism because I think right now it's like very very important that we we kind of do that kind of work because of the the escalating tensions global tensions and you know how the right wing particularly the right wing um in america are are kind of becoming these pro they, they, you know they're these pro putin apologists uh very sketchy links between I, I you know from what i can gather like russian money u.s politics uh the trump right it's all kind of yeah very worrying very concerning um so anyway, we'll be re revealing more about that in the coming weeks. Um, dun, dun, dun. So look, what you know, what does the international community do? Are there more steps that we can take? Should Putin start using chemical weapons? Like, where do we go from here? You know, are there uh, are there more actions we can take to isolate Putin? Like, what what's the? Do we have anything else? Any other tools in our arsenal that we can use? Well, I think uh, we should also bear in mind, too, that there are tools being exercised right now that um, we're never going to hear about because they're top secret. They're classified. Uh, the black ops and so on. You know, your typical uh, covert actions. And I think those are underway as well. And we'd be naive to think that they weren't. <laughs> I think so. Uh, there are a lot of things that are underway that uh, go beyond sanctions that just don't get discussed. You know, unless someone like Lindsey Graham gets on television and fucking blurts it out anyway, <laughs> like an idiot. Uh, for the most part, it's all happening secretly. So we can rest assured knowing that, too. You know, and again, I, I, I understand the frustration, man. We should be, uh, you know, in, in a best case scenario, we'd be pushing back against Russia for doing this. But uh, we just don't have that luxury with the stakes at hand. Yeah, yeah. We, we it's it's very difficult. I think you know if Europe then if Europe decides to cut the gas off, uh, cut the oil and gas off because right now the Biden you know Biden has announced that that they're banning Russian imports. Uh, I think if Europe then follows suit and does that, it's it's more complicated. I get I understand why you can't just do that immediately, right? When like you know Germany like. Forty percent of its energy needs that come from like Russian oil and gas. So just turning that off overnight, you're going to create 
a, a, a catastrophe. So I think that, you know, yeah, I, I, but I do see that coming and I do think that, you know, um, coordinated action is being taken to get wean the West off of, of Russian oil. And that that is not going to happen as quickly as we want it to, uh, mm. but it will happen, I think. And I think that that's kind of where we have to, you know, this is why long-term I think Putin has screwed himself uh, because of the, because the West is going to, but no, no way are we going to, are we going to then go double down on Russian get oil and gas? No way. Right. We're right. going to move, move off of it as soon as we can. So this is, I just think that this might take, I sort of got this inkling early on that this was going to drag out for quite some time. It wasn't going to be this um, quick war that everybody hoped it was good. You know, that it was going to be over soon that we, we'd win quickly or we, the Russians would see sets quickly. I don't think so. I think it's going to drag on for, for, for quite a lot longer and a lot of people are going to die because of that. But, you know, like we talked about earlier, you've you got to play chess here rather than checkers. Yeah, right. Um, right. So, yeah. Okay, well, um, gas prices, right? All of this, we, we've got to talk about it because everybody's talking about flipping gas prices. <laughs> uh, that, obviously, this this whole conflict has created huge shock, a huge shock in the um, in gas prices around the world, particularly in the West and Europe. Uh, gas prices have doubled in the US. And look, I don't use my car that much, so I don't really care that much. But I do yeah. understand that lots of people do use, you know, do rely yeah. on gas. And the we're cost about of- to drive up to New York. We 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 were expecting to spend like maybe a hundred thousand gas, and now we're budgeted for two hundred. And I yeah. don't know if that's going to be enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, and everyone's blaming Biden for this, right? The the all the Trump people are blaming, saying it's all Joe Biden's fault that gas is going up and he should have handled this better. And I, 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 what is what is he supposed to do? I don't understand what what is Biden supposed to do. Well, he's supposed to step in uh, with his you know, uh, big government and you know start regulating private industry, <laughs> start forcing oh, private oh, industry and, to do and, things. And yeah, magically, magically make the Keystone Pipeline open, which wouldn't do anything at all about gas prices. Right. Right. By the right, way, there's a, a weed one. whacker going by my uh, studio here. So, oh, I <laughs> just so you know, there's going to be some weird noise happening on my uh, on my okay. end of the feed here. Uh, but yeah, this uh, what I find fascinating is to see small government Republicans whining and screaming for Joe Biden for big government to come along and help them uh, with lower gas prices and. You know, this is it's so, um, you know, I hate to use the H word. I hate to say hypocrisy, but the, uh, there's a, a broader thing here. It's just a, a general contradiction. You know, uh, please, please help us. Please help regulate these uh, private corporations so we can bring gas prices down. And I refuse to do anything myself. They're saying, you know, I don't want to carpool or buy a more fuel efficient car or use mass transit. What I want to do is stand here at the gas pump. Look at the doubled price of a gallon of gas and and pump that into my SUV all while going, why, oh, why do I have to pay this much for gas? Look, I I can't stop myself. Ah, I'm going to put more of this expensive gas in my car. Ah, it's, it's so fucking ridiculous. If, if you don't want to pay that much for gas, you don't have to fucking pay that much for gas. You can find some other way to get to work or get to the store or whatever. That's the way it generally works. And besides, 
Joe Biden can't do anything else that's going to be effective along these lines. I mean, I guess he could cancel the uh, the gas tax or something like that temporarily, maybe. Uh, but generally, that's not going to solve the problem. So uh, it's just, it's it's immensely frustrating and you know uh, infuriating to see this reaction coming from Republicans. Uh, they're basically just concern trolling, you know, just looking for shit to complain about and and blame right. Joe and Biden for. All the while, they're just they continue to spend you know five bucks for a gallon of gas. It's ridiculous. And this is the market. This is the free, the glorious free market that they so right, right. love. Right. This is what happens in 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 a free market. You know, shit mm-hmm. happens. Price goes up because you know, there isn't enough supply. Like this is, this is the free market speaking. So price gouging, uh, thousands of unexplored, uh, uh, leases from the federal government to the, uh, to, to the big oil corporations to, you know, to, to drill for more oil and they're just not using them. They just rather pay for more. I mean, all of the major, uh, gas companies, Exxon, Mobil, Shell, uh, BP, you know, on down the list, made huge profits last year. Huge yeah, profits. Yeah, about to say, it's not like the supply suddenly got short. Yeah. It's the same supply. It just got more expensive. Right, right. So they're using so, this as a backdoor to, you know, reopen Keystone XL. That's not going to do a goddamn thing for gas prices. Uh, it's just insane. Drill, baby, drill in Anwar. That's coming up again. And, you know, it's just a, an excuse to go back to those old tropes, to go back to the those old sandboxes and, and revive them. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's, 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 and it's good politics to attack Biden. The same Republicans that are like cut Russian gas, cut Russian gas, cut Russian gas. Oh my God. Biden raised our gas prices. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the same people who are doing. They're saying both at the same time. And that's amazing, you know, and they're not being held accountable for that. Yeah. You know, the press isn't going, Hey, you just said you told Biden to cut gas, uh, gas from Russia. You don't get to say price gas prices are going up. You're responsible for that. They're not being held accountable at all. So, so they get to have cake. They get to have their cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying to the to all the people complaining about it, and particularly the Trump people, is suck it up. You asked for this. Yep, yeah, pretty much. Well, <laughs> it's like if you're if you're if you're jumping up and down, it's like you know, it's like we have to do something. We have to do something. This is what doing something looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it does suck. Like it, I, I get it, though. You know, it, it's it's going to hurt people. Um, but I think that you know, and also, look. I mean, there's going to be. I think like the Biden administration has been fairly upfront about this. That this the conflict in with Russia is going to it's going to have an effect, right? It's going to have an effect on on um, the global economy. It's going to have an effect on gas prices. Like this is what happens when there's a war. Like you can't have it all. You know, um, like yeah, maybe there's no war shilling, without a price. Maybe we're shilling for Biden here. I want to, you know, we've we've been like I, one of the comments. I'm going to reply to this too in our letters to the editor feature. But but one of the people was saying that one of our readers was saying that we always take the pro Democrat, pro Biden uh, view. Um, you know, which what is like podcast do they think they're listening to? <laughs> Well, yeah, like, really? Are we supposed to go with the, the Republican Daily Wire view? or something like that? Why don't they ever praise Republicans? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I again, I find myself in this hot, difficult position where you you see what the Biden administration is doing, and you say, okay, I kind of see why they're doing that. This is what a normal, sensible person would do. You know, this is what a, this is what adults how adults would respond to a crisis. I don't agree yeah. with like 
everything the Biden administration does. I don't like, I'm not a Joe Biden fanboy. Um, you know, not a Nancy Pelosi fanboy. I don't love the Democrats. I think the Democrats are, uh, you know, uh, flawed and have many problems. And, you know, there's the, a lot of the blue dog Democrats I really don't agree with. Um, but they're at least, I don't know, reasonable. And why is it nowadays it's, it's <laughs> bad to be reasonable? It's bad yeah, to, that's, I mean, you know, God forbid. Yeah, I, I, sorry to jump in here, but reasonable is just the beginning of it. They're the last adults running mm. the show. There mm. is no one else. I mean, yeah, you've got your third party candidates, blah, blah, blah. They're not really viable. As far as viable political parties, there's the Republican Party and there's the Democratic Party. This is a binary choice that you have in an election or a binary choice you have just in the general discourse in between elections, like what we're doing right now. Mm. You, either, <laughs> you either help the Democrats win or you're helping this uh, neo-fascist bunch of idiocrats to win. And that is unacceptable. Any Republican victory has to be seen as unacceptable and damage to the republic. There is no doubt about that. The, you know, you could say, okay, well, you know, uh, back in 1992 or back in the 1980s or even earlier than that. Well, you know, so there's some Republicans who do good things and we, you know, can vote for them occasionally. Yeah, fine. It's not the 90s anymore. This is a new paradigm for the Republican Party. They have flown so far off the rails with Trumpism and pro-Russia propaganda and this entire Red Hat entertainment complex, which is duping millions of Americans out of their life savings, just as bad as televangelists and faith healers did back in the day or still are doing. And so th there is no, there is no other choice. And the other thing is, uh, yeah, you know what? The Democratic Party is flawed. We're all flawed. Every organization, every corporation, every fucking Hollywood studio, every podcast, every blog, every website, every news organization is flawed in some way. The mm. Democratic Party uh, works its ass off to remain centered, remain as a... Uh, as adult as possible, as grown up as possible, as rational as possible, uh, given the fact that it's a giant tent, including uh, people as, as broadly ranged as, you know, uh, moderate conservatives all the way through super progressive leftists. And in order to keep all of those people voting for Democrats, you're not going to have this lockstep idea. You're not going to have, you're not going to be able to force this broad coalition of people into one box like the Republican party is doing the lockstep Republican party where you're, you're either with Trump or you're no longer a, a, a valid member of the Republican party. The democratic party can't do that. So it seems scattered and it's frustrating because we, you know, it's like the old uh, analogy. It's like herding cats but it is like herding cats, and that's what politics is all about. And so uh, I find this nonsense. Why don't you ever praise Republicans? Well, look, the Republicans have to do something that's praiseworthy, first of all. Yes. And, and the, the best thing they can do toward that end is to abandon Donald Trump and renounce everything that he has ever done, apologize to the nation for uh, enabling him for so many years. And then, you know what, maybe we'll come around and say, all right, well, it seems like they're at least trying to be rational again. 
It's like the never Trumpers. I'm a, I'm willing to say, yeah, okay, welcome aboard, as long as they're renouncing this bastardization of the Republican Party that's been going on even before Trump that's been going on for the last uh, 40, 50 years, the slow descent into this madness. So, yeah, I, I really I bristle at that notion that uh, supporting the Democratic Party somehow makes us apologists or rubber stamps for the establishment or shills or, or whatever. That's well, absolute fucking nonsense. <laughs> Why do you always support the firefighters when they're putting out the fires, Bob? Why don't you ever support the arsonists? What would you say? What would you say then about a a criticism that maybe we are like, for example, other opinions within the Democratic Party or the left, right? The the you know the the kind of Bernie left, right? Yeah. Um, That I think is, and I don't want to draw on. I do not. Uh, think that the Bernie left and the Trump right are equivalents. I don't. I, 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 I generally speaking, like they, it annoys me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really annoys me, um, the Bernie left, but I don't equate them with the Trump right. They're not no. as da- they're not as dangerous. They're nowhere near as dangerous. But that being said, look, like my opinion is uh, my opinion tends to be like, I don't know. Like it's, I'm not taking my orders from anybody, but I generally speaking, look at kind of moderate Democrats and go like, okay, I sort of think that that's sensible. Uh, and I don't want to be kind of like, you know, I feel like, like people like Jenk Uger, right. Who's like, takes the, take, takes this kind of militant stance against centrist Democrats and corporate de- Democrat, or he labels as corporate Democrats or the neoliberals, the establishment. And I think he just does that to sound cool, right? I think he just does it because you know he denies political reality, um, and and uh, and then and sort of does this to to make himself look edgy and cool to his kind of hard left followers. And I'm not willing to do that, and I'm not willing to kind of like play that game of being anti-establishment for the sake of being anti-establishment. I think that that's childish, you right. know. If it's in good faith, it's in good faith, like. You know when they were when they were everyone was bitching about Joe Manchin not keeping up his end of the bargain when it came with the um the two bills right mm. it was the the build back better and the infrastructure bill he made a deal and he didn't keep up his end of the bargain so yeah people were pissed at him progressives were pissed at him and they had every reason to be pissed at him because they made a deal. And he completely well, not just him. It was also Christian, uh, Kristen Cinema. So the two of them stabbed progressives in the back. They made a deal and they went back on it, which is a really scumbag thing to do. Like in Washington, your word is what you're worth. And now you know they went back on their word, right? So that's a that's mm-hmm. a real that was a good faith argument. That was a you know that was a real criticism to make, and it was it was an honest criticism. But other stuff when it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Biden's not fighting hard enough for the common man. It's like, OK, that's not a good faith criticism at all. You know, that's just I want to bash Democrats because it makes it it builds my the street cred. Right. That builds right. my street cred. It's like, come on, what are you what are you doing? Are you serious here? Or, you know, Joe Biden's racist. He doesn't fight hard enough for black people. It's like, really? Really? Yeah. You're going to do that? that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess that, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't, I don't want to, I feel like being sensible kind of means that you don't, you're not being trendy, right? Where you're not being kind of like, 
like slagging off Democrats to make yourself look cool. And I think that that's what a lot of people on the left, it's what, you, you know, that's probably what I would have done 15 years ago, you know, 20 years ago. Um, you, you know, it's very easy to, to criticize, you know, the centrists and the, and the moderates um, because they're not doing enough for whatever, you know, whatever your pet causes. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, at the, I guess the more seasoned you become, the more seasoned the political observer you become, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, politics is really hard. And people who are trying to kind of do something good within the system, it's like Obama, you know, I had a lot of sympathy for Obama and what he tried to do. I don't think he got it right all the time, but, you know, in his situation, you got, I talked to my cousin about this. My cousin's a history teacher and he was reading Obama's book and uh, his his um, book about his time in office. And both of us kind of agreed. It's like, you know, you don't necessarily agree with what Obama did, but you can see why he did it. And you kind of right. go, okay, he took a reasonable, like that was reasonable. You know, what he was doing was reasonable. It wasn't like, I get it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, something malevolent. He wasn't doing it to be an arsehole. I don't know, with like, with his treatment, I don't agree with, the the Wall Street, you know, after the Wall Street crash, I think he didn't do a good job. I think, but I understand why he did what he did, and the um and the 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 different the calculations that went into it and the constraints that he had. Uh, give you know, given the constraints, you go okay, yeah, I sort of see why he had to make these deals. I kind of get it, given the political reality at the time. I do I think that it could have been handled better. Yeah, sure, but you know, I wasn't in that position, so. You know, anyway, that's my, I guess that's my response to these, to, to like taking the kind of this, the, the more moderate democratic view and, and being a Biden apologist is that, yeah, I guess maybe I am, you know, in that I see him being sensible. Yeah. And yeah. if sensible is, you know, it's not edgy, then sorry. You know? well, I just want to add that I'm generally, I'm uh, trying to be hopeful that eventually we will be in a place where we can go back to, you know, being a little bit more picky in terms of who we vote for. But right now uh, we're absolutely sandbagging against, uh, you know, the rise of, of authoritarianism in this country. And that's an all hands on deck sort of thing. That's set aside your little biases. We need to fight this fight. And, uh, and that's where I am at this point. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys, well, look, let's move on quickly to the both sides because we've got some funny ones for you today. Mm -hmm. So, Really terrifying ones. Uh, Justin, who have you got today? Yeah, so um, I've got Republican Robert Regan or Reagan. Um, he's running for Michigan's House, Dem uh, House District 74. Um, and he was on a Facebook Live um, conversation. It was a Zoom or Facebook Live, sorry, not Zoom. And um, they were they were babbling about Trump's big lie. And one of the one of the people on there was trying to get them to move on for this, right? It's been a year, she said, and it's like it's it's been a year. We can't go back. We can't undo the election, blah, blah, blah. So his response was, and I quote, I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. Oh fuck. God oh, damn it. God. Um so yeah, that that was his response. Um, because you know, he's a Republican and he's a guy. And this guy is just fucking awful in general. Um, and he's completely unapologetic about it. You know, he's he's uh, 
I mean, his I, sorry, his idea of an apology was like, you know, he's not he's not he's not polished because he's not a politician. So sometimes the stuff he says comes out a little rough. Um, yeah. So and he's like the, the 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 left trolls attack me because they they say things that uh you know that that uh, hit their target and blah blah blah. So this is this is the type of shit that the right says all the time and they you you know the type of heinous shit they say about rape this is not a, a, a an outlier this is like a regular thing for them and there is nothing like this on the left like the left just does not say shit like this mm. um and when they do that is the end of them this guy this guy's gonna get elected like where he's running He's running the Democrat. He's running it. He's going to win. There's almost unless something unless he falls down a manhole cover, he's going to be elected. So even saying this does not disqualify him. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if he got more um, campaign donations because of it, because they eat it up. This the right eats this stuff up. The more controversy it is and the more people get upset about it, the more popular they get. And there's just nothing like that on the left. It just does not exist. So mm-hmm. when people say both sides, they're, they're full of shit. It does not exist. Yeah, past the sick bag. Um, Bob, who, <laughs> who have you got this week? Uh, former Trump chief of staff, former member of Congress, Mark Meadows, uh, committed voter fraud or allegedly committed voter fraud. Uh, he had himself registered to vote in North Carolina based on a property that he's never owned and never lived in. <laughs> it's this little <laughs> motor home. It's like a little uh, mobile home at a place in North Carolina called Scaly Mountain. And there's no evidence whatsoever that he was ever there. And uh, but he voted in North Carolina anyway, as is even though I think he lives in Alexandria, Virginia, in you know, in real life. So this is another example of Republicans committing voter fraud. And the big um, the big question is, uh, and the word uh, big, uh, very operative here, uh, the big lie that Donald Trump keeps telling about the 2020 election Big distraction is what that is. That's like the rodeo clown getting us all to go, oh, let's respond to whatever the latest big lie thing is. Uh, Mike Lindell and Sidney Powell and all these usual weirdos and freaks. Uh, and, and we're constantly responding to that. Meantime, it's the Republicans over here committing voter fraud and election fraud all over the place. I mean, how many examples have we seen even going back before the 2020 election? Donald Trump impeached twice for trying to cheat in the election to try to overturn uh, uh, the second time, trying to overturn the results of the election. First time it was extorting Ukraine in order to, uh, to, to cheat in that, to cheat in the same election. But before the fact to try to get an investigation in Ukraine opened up against Hunter Biden and Burisma, this energy company that he sat on the board of. Uh, so you have that, you have the fake electors, the fake Republican electors, uh, uh, you know, being compiled and, and, uh, you know, in this attempt to, to scam the electoral vote totals. And then you have Trump's Georgia gamut, which is kind of part of the reason he was impeached a second time, but it's not specific to it. Uh, then you have Yunkin's, Glenn Youngkin's kid in Virginia trying to vote twice in different places. Uh, and now we have Mark Meadows on Scaly Mountain. So uh, this is Republican voter fraud, Republican election fraud all happening 
while the Republicans at the same time start screaming about the big lie and, and the theft of the 2020 election and the worst rigged election in the history of blah, 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 blah. And it's really the Republicans doing this. It's really the yeah, Republicans honestly, committing this fraud. I honestly, like, other than occasionally someone who votes and finds out they weren't allowed to vote and they get arrested for it later. Yeah. I honestly don't know a single time I've read about voting fraud or any of that stuff that wasn't a Republican. Mm -hmm. Every time I read about it, it's a Republican. They're the only ones I know that do this, especially systematically. Like when it's like like election fraud or something, it's always Republicans. Yeah, find me an example of a a Democrat who has engaged in voter fraud or election fraud. It's not existing. I don't know. I mean, I I would have to go back decades and decades before I could find something. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing, and it's you guys always Republican apologists. You just Biden apologists, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a B bot. That's it. So I'm I, a B bot. My 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 one this week is uh, Douglas McGregor, a former Army Colonel and Trump appointee. <laughs> okay, I mean Jesus. Right. Okay, listen to this. Right. This was his interview uh, on um, Fox about. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, where he claimed that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was too gentle. Um, Have you listened to this? The uh, first five days, uh, Russian forces, I think, frankly, were too gentle. Uh, They've now corrected that. So I would say another 10 days, this should be completely over. But the question is, uh, what is it that Zelensky is going to do? The Russians have made it very clear what they want is a neutral Ukraine. This could have ended days ago if he accepted that. And then they can adjust the borders. But the eastern part of Ukraine is firmly in Russian hands. But again, the Russians are not seizing territory. They're destroying Ukrainian forces. That's their focus. Okay. Wow. (laughs) You fucking apologist. (laughs) So this is Ukraine's fault that Russia is invading them. You know what? I bet that sounded better in the original Russian. <laughs> uh, uh, do you do you see this on the? No matter how crazy some people on the left are and how annoying they are, you don't see that. You don't see that. I'm That's sorry. fucking impressive. You don't see that. That's pretty impressive. So you know, uh, hats off to this asshole for um for. <laughs> for being i don't know who the biggest arsehole of the week here but you know um you know that's pretty good that's yeah i don't know man that that's a tough one that's a tough one (laughs) um all right well listen um i want to thank everybody uh for listening to the show uh we are about to go into the members section if you want to listen to the members only podcast uh you can look at it on on the newsletter uh we'll post a link um We'll post a link to the members only section where you can listen. We're gonna we have separate them out. So we have the the main podcast uh, in one post and the members only post. They're two separate podcasts. Um, so we'll post a link so you can get it. You can get fifty uh, percent off a banter membership um, for for the whole year. So you can go and listen to that for um, the price half the price of a cup of coffee a month. Uh, again, thank you all for listening, um, guys. Good show today. And yeah, thanks uh, so much, man. we'll see you next week. And all the members will see you in the member section where we're going to be talking about my life as a juvenile delinquent. Um, 
<laughs> and my very unique experience in high school that apparently I only found out as an adult uh, wasn't that normal. Um, but everybody else, you know, nobody else had this uh, ha- had this experience. So uh, I'm going to get grilled on this by the guys. So, all right, we'll see you then. Thank you. Later. <laughs>